welcome to the Warren Letter Podcast. I'm, you know, super excited to have uh, Robert Weirdemeyer on the show. His book, The Aftershock Investor, formed the basis for a lot of my um, financial views, my economic views. It's formed the way that I have designed my investment portfolio and um, everything that he's predicted uh, back in 2014 when I first read this book um, basically is coming true today in front of our eyes. And it's like watching, uh, you know, it's just like watching all this play out has been has been truly awesome. And so I you know, took a leap of faith and I invited him on the podcast and he was nice enough to accept the invitation. And so, uh, so, uh, Robert, how, how are you? Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm doing great, Russell, after I, uh, I solved my technical problems <laughs> with my son's help here, <laughs> but, uh, sorry for the delay on that part, but, uh, yeah, doing great. Uh, certainly doing better than the market is today. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, and you know that's that's it's kind of a an ironic day to have you on because you know in our emails I said, would you want to come on the on the podcast uh, earlier in the week? And you said, well, let's wait to see what the Fed does. And and the Fed decided to hike fifty basis points, and the market reacted opposite of what I expected, and it and it shot up two and a half percent. And then today, um, the market's reacting the way I I thought it would, and basically erased all the gains from the previous session. And so um, what did you think about the Fed and, and the Fed meeting and what Powell, you know, tried to spin? Yeah, well, you know, what he's trying to spin in a sense is that interest rate increases are, aren't going to be that harmful to the stock market or economy or so forth. You know, they're, they're you know, yes, a little harm, but, but enough we can tolerate. And what, what uh, Chairman Powell isn't recognizing is that we're in a bubble economy yeah go back to as you said my earlier books you're in a bubble and and when you have stocks at a high price you have the economy being heavily stimulated by the government both from borrowing money and and printing money to keep interest rates down so that it's you know it's easy to borrow that money um you can't raise rates you really can't and I, I'm not sure why Powell doesn't see this. I guess he, he doesn't because, again, well, he doesn't see it's a bubble economy. He thinks we're in just a regular economy. You can raise rates, a little bit of pain, and and uh, we'll be able to control inflation. And, and nothing could be farther from the truth. We're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're a long ways from being able to control inflation at this point. This is something that should have been done, you know, almost, literally decades ago. But the Fed has, you know, went down a very different path and printed massive amounts of money. Got everybody used to low interest rates, and some people would say addicted to low interest rates. Um, y- you can't change now. And 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 yeah, and I think the markets are kind of calling his bluff on that. Um, and and my question would be, and I'm seeing a lot of uh, pundits basically push out the idea that if the market goes down enough, the S and P right now is down about fifteen percent from its high. If the market goes down enough, Powell will basically back off just like he did in, in 2018. The problem being inflation is so much higher now as, you know, government CPI measures it. So do you think there's a point where it's too much pain and Powell will just uh, stop raising rates or even reverse and lower rates? Yes, uh, both. Uh, he will stop and he will reverse. But as you're kind of indicating um, that the pain threshold may be fairly high because we do have inflation now. It isn't just sort of a, hey, it's nice to look like we're, we're um, responsible. No, we got, we got high inflation. And, uh, and, and so I don't think Powell's going to uh, stop or reverse that quickly. In fact, I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, this morning saying that, you know, 20% decline will not 
deter Powell. It might have to be more like a 25 or 30 percent decline in the S&P, uh, you know, before Powell jumps back. I, I might add uh, that uh, there are other things that could force Powell back, like uh, sort of a freeze up in the bond market. You know, that that kind of thing could happen even sooner than we have problems in the stock market. But either the bonds or stocks or ultimately the housing market would cause uh, Powell to reverse. But uh, one of those will do it. And uh, and he will have to reverse. And he definitely will reverse because otherwise you will create a panic if the market falls enough and, and you get a, kind of like a run on the bank. And if there's anything Powell will do is pre- try to prevent a run on the bank, which he can by just reversing his policies right now. Okay. And, and if he does reverse his policies now, I'm sure that'll exacerbate inflation, right? Um, you know, temporarily, it may or may not. I mean, a certain amount of this inflation is clearly from supply and demand issues that, you know, will to some degree be resolved. Uh, but what you've done by having this high level inflation for as long as we have is you've sort of changed what I call the anti-inflation mentality into a sort of a pro-inflation. And what I mean by that is that people are more likely to want wage increases. Uh, companies are more likely to want price increases and, and to push them and get away with them. I and mean, we're all seeing that in various aspects of our lives. And that's probably not going to change. I mean, it might moderate a little bit, but it's probably not going to change. Uh, and certainly as the Fed prints more money, you know, to save the stock market, to save uh, real estate and bonds, uh, yeah, you're going to, you've lit the fuse for inflation. I mean, you've now got come to the point where you ha- have begun the long-term inflation that nobody, nobody, I mean, I shouldn't say it, but nobody in charge of policy ever thought would happen is, you know, that we print money and get inflation from it. Now we're going to see that happening. So it will be, in some sense, is also a downer for the market and for people when the Fed has to throw in the towel and say, hey, you know, we can't raise rates anymore. It sort of means the Fed has said we're going to have to live with inflation. And what I would say is, you know, the Fed's lost control of interest rates. Eventually, um, you know, inflation is going to go up and interest rates will go way up. But uh, yeah, that's 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 upsetting. That's unnerving to think that, you know, the, the Fed can't do anything about inflation at this point. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you know, that kind of ties into your book. Like I said, this, this book, I read it when I was a first year law student. It's kind of formed the basis of my investment philosophy. It's if anyone's listening uh, and doesn't know the book already, it's called The Aftershock Investor. And it talks about kind of a future um, financial situation for the United States. And one of the chapters in the book is chapter seven. This is bye bye bonds. And, you know, it's very prescient because we've had the worst year for bonds in I think 40 years. Um, and now you're saying that you think uh, the bond market basically is going to go even more berserk and, and interest rates are going to go even higher. Um, what is that going to do to you know some of these high-flying equity valuations? I mean, that seems like it'll be awful. Um, it will be awful. And, uh, you know, and I think this is one where you know, I've often, and we all know, and I've often said psychology is driving the market. A lot of times we all know that uh, now it's not. It's policy that is going to drive this market down. And and you're right that, you know, rate rising rates will will screw up your bond market. And, and this is going to screw up your valuations on high flying stocks. We're already seeing a lot of high flyers getting nailed badly in the last couple of weeks from you know Netflix to Lyft. Uh, you know, all these sort of, you know, high flying stocks are getting hammered. Um, bonds actually are doing worse today 
than than the S&P 500. The long-term bond ETF uh, is actually down more than the S&P. So, you know, it's a lot of carnage out there and and a lot of a lot of issues with housing starting, you know, starting to see big declines in, um, you know, number of, of mortgages applied for for new homes, things like that. So, yeah, um, th- this, yeah, bye-bye bonds, you know, definitely. And, you know, that's that's going to be a big issue because, um, you know, bond people are risk averse and, and they don't have a big upside. I mean, you know, Tesla goes down 15% one week. Who cares? It might be up 50% by the end of the year. Not true with bonds. If you lose 15% over a three-month period, you kind of know you're probably not going to make it back very quickly. Um, and so it's, it's very dangerous to have, uh, this kind of thing being done to bonds and, um, and yes, that everything has an interactive effect, whether it's, uh, you know, bond, bond value, you know, bond interest rate rising, it's all going to hurt stocks, housing could hurt stocks and, and, you know, vice versa, stocks go down, people feel less wealthy, so they don't buy houses as quickly or are not as willing to pay the high rates. So yeah, very, very, very much a, um, a downward spiral. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, the, the 60, 40 portfolio is kind of what's, what's touted in the financial world as, as, you know, the perfect portfolio for, for anyone looking to build long-term wealth, you know, 60% equities, 40% bonds, but both and and, and, you know, normally as the equities go down, the bonds kind of cushion that portfolio and vice versa. But here, both sides of the 60, 40 portfolio are falling. And so people are really, um, seeing this in their 401ks and IRAs mm-hmm. and, and that and that. Yeah, falling a lot too. So I mean it's not like, well, you know, bonds usually offset, but you know, they're down two percent. No, no, no. I mean, you know, twenty year bonds, you're, you're looking at, at, at declines of fifteen to twenty percent this year. Yeah, yeah. And and for and so for some people to say, okay, you know, Bitcoin goes up twenty to thirty percent in a few weeks and that's no big deal. But for like you were saying, for bonds, I mean that's <laughs> that's huge to have a bond your bond portfolio go down twenty percent. I mean that is big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And and so um, you know I'm going through your your first book, the Aftershock Investor, and then we'll get to your to your new book um, in a second. But I kind of there's something interesting in, in your old book. I kind of want to go through, and basically y- you lay out um, uh, the scenario, the stages for the market cliff, and. In one of the, the stages, stage two, you wrote the the signs of that we're in stage two is that the stock market doesn't rise consistently. People become aware of massive stimulation, misleading statistics. People become increasingly aware of and concerned about inflation, and people take notice of economic malaise worldwide. And I think all four of those points uh, are currently. I mean, I have hit currently. I mean, stock market clearly isn't rising consistently. Uh, people are very aware of what's going on, the um, interventions in the markets by, by the Fed. Everyone is aware of and concerned about inflation. I mean, it's the number one concern of, of uh, people towards uh, political leaders in almost every poll that I've seen. And then people taking notice of economic malaise. Well, that's clearly here. I mean, the you know uh, consumer sentiment is way down. The economic sentiment is way down. Uh, people think things will be worse in 12 months than than they are now. So do you agree with that? Do you think we're in this stage two? Yeah, because I think you described our current situation perfectly. Um, you, you know, and, and that, that I think that uh, that caveat was that, that we were seeing malaise around the world. And you're seeing Europe, you know, partly because of these higher energy prices, but, you know, other, other reasons, it, it's in trouble. 
it's going to see no growth. Uh, China is, certainly is, is not going to see anything like the growth they've seen uh, in the past 10 years. They're slowing down. Their housing market is not good. And, and in, in the case of China, the housing market is much of their economy. So, yeah, it's a worldwide malaise. It, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't read that little <laughs> part of my book in a while, but, man, it, it does describe where we are today. I, I have to agree perfectly. And so when I, when, I, when I saw that, I was like, okay, we're in stage two. And then so obviously the next stage will be stage three. In stage three, you break out in, into these kind of, kind of steps. And basically stage three, you call it increasing instability. Um, basically, the stock market is, is oscillating. Uh, advanced investors become increasingly worried about an economy is taking a long time to recover. Um, and then stage three starts slowly and moves quickly. Uh, and then the stage three, the first step is that the stock market falls gradually in spite of intervention. So um, and then interest rates rise in spite of actions by the Fed. So I don't think we're there yet. It looks to me like the Fed is trying to raise interest rates, not trying to stop them. Yet interest rates keep rising. Exactly. That that's exactly right. That's why, you know, we're we're not we're not at the we're not at that point where where the Fed has lost control of rates. It, it it's it can raise them. It can lower them right now. So. Uh, and, and one thing I have learned in, in writing these books is that, um, you know, the, the stuff can take a lot longer to happen than you think. Uh, you know, it's taken a lot longer for inflation to occur than I would have thought after the financial crisis. It's uh, and, and this period where, you know, the Fed still has some control uh, over interest rates, you know, could last years. I, I mean, you know, we could have another, you know, bull market or pretty good stock market for two, three, you know, I don't know. But, you know, some more years. Uh, simply because uh, even if you've got 12% inflation, you could have 3% interest rates. Uh, you know, the Fed just prints more money and buys more bonds, keeps interest rates down and sort of to hell with inflation for a while. It just keeps going up. And again, you know, it, it, it could have its ups and downs, too, where maybe it falls a percent. And everybody goes, oh, inflation's over. You know, that's the top. And so everybody's happy for a while. Um, yeah, so we're not there yet. Uh, but yeah, that is absolutely the next stage to look for is when the Fed does try to lower rates and keep them down and it can't. That, that's, that's kind of, that, that's your final uh, signal <laughs> that, you know, we're in the rapids part of, of the waterfall. You're not going over the waterfall, but that's, that's going to be the, the rapids getting to swift rapids. Yeah. And, and, and I have a, a you know, my personal theory is that is the Fed would rather inflation uh, than, have markets go down precipitously because the average person, if you, you know, if they open their 401k account and they see bright red, you know, down 15%, down 20%, that they feel that that stings them and they get upset about that. Whereas inflation is kind of the silent tax, right? Mm -hmm. Prices in the grocery store slowly rise, prices at the pump rise, and people just kind of get used to it. But they look at their their 401k and see it's up a little bit, they're still happy. And so my and also the, the government has so much debt that, you know, raising interest rates, a significant amount is just going to create, you know, more interest rate payments the government has to pay back. So my personal theory is that the Fed would rather have inflation than have the stock market fall. That's absolutely right. Um, for the reason you mentioned, and, and, you know, some stock market people even point out that inflation can be good for stocks. It can even help real estate to some degree. But 
Uh, most importantly, and, and if you think about it, it, it makes it makes some fundamental sense. Again, as I said, what was the Fed really invented for was to stop a bank panic or a financial panic or whatever. And and so it does not want to kick off a panic in the stock market or bond market or, or now housing market. Um, that would be very contrary to what it wants to do. And, and if if having a little more inflation will uh, you know, will will at least keep a financial panic at bay for a while. That's what they're going to do. They don't want to have a financial panic. Yeah, and and though I think, and I think you would agree here. Um, my concern is that they really won't be able to stop a financial panic at this point because of rates rising. And and in your book, um, and then I'll get to your new book. But one of the charts I posted it on my Twitter, it's on page 174. And it's a chart that shows housing prices in correlation to the mortgage rate. And so uh, it says the chart assumes the current mortgage rate is 4%. An increase to 5% would force home prices down 11% to maintain the same monthly payment. And so it has a 5% mortgage rate. The housing price lowers by 11%. A 7.5% mortgage rate, the price of the home lowers by 32%. And a 10% mortgage rate, the price lowers by 45%. We've already gone from about a 3% uh, lowest of mortgage rate. We're already at a 5.2%. So, I mean, that's already dropped how, you know, the value of a house to maintain the same monthly payment by 11%. Right. And and right now you're seeing to some degree, people are just eating a bit of the higher payments and, and, and going ahead and buying homes. But I think you'll find that that's going to change fairly quickly. And and probably what's going to happen is the, the real estate market will sort of freeze up a little bit uh, in that you're not going to you're going to find buyers aren't going to lower their price. So they just don't sell. They don't have to. So, you know, the real estate has has the advantage and disadvantage of being more illiquid um, uh, right now in the short term. I think that'll be an advantage that, you know, you can sort of not sell your house and. Hopefully, old old uh, pal will you know lower rates again. Um, I'm not sure he's going to get back to three and a half percent though, uh, and that's why the housing market may be in for some pain uh, either way. Um, and you know it's not good to scare people. Also, if int- if prices do fall, you know when they're this high, it, it could scare future buyers. You know they want they want to see maybe a little more stability in home prices before they buy, and and that reluctance. Uh, to buy that waiting for stability makes stability all that much harder to get, you know, because, uh, you know, people aren't selling, people aren't buying it. it, it it's problematic. And, and again, we don't know how much, how low they're going to be able to bring mortgage rates back down. But I think more to your point or, or to your point broadly. Um, yeah, this whole policy is guaranteed to fail. Um, it's all short term stuff, but long term, and that may only be a few years, it might be shorter, might be longer, but yeah, long term, it's guaranteed to fail. Uh, the whole, the whole idea here is we made an all-in bet that printing money will not create inflation. All-in bet, and 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 we, I mean, for a long time. I, I mean, you know, look look at the twenty-year, thirty-year bonds. Thirty-year bonds were at two percent not long ago. Well, you're certainly not assuming much inflation over the next thirty years if your bonds paying two percent. Um, you know, so it was really an all-in bet, and and if it ever created inflation, we're screwed. Uh, and, you know, for a while, the money printing really didn't create much inflation. So um, I, I said it's going to at some point something will kick it off. And, and it did, you know, COVID, among other things. But, uh, uh, yeah, this policy is 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 guaranteed to fail. 
that's really should be the name of my next book, or at least a chapter in my next book. Um, it, it, it always was. And, and that's why I have to be careful when I say, hey, the you know, market will come back. The Fed can reverse its policies. Right. Th- this all can be done for a while short term. Um, but ultimately, by printing more money, you're, you know, you're going to eventually fire off the inflation even more to the point where, you know, it, it, it gets too big and, and the Fed really can't keep rates down, you know. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I've been accused of people saying that I'm, you know, too much of a doom and gloomer, that I don't, you know, speak in, in, in positive terms. And I'm too, you know, everyone, they're worried because I'm always saying, you know, we're in a real bad situation here. So I want to inject from your book some kind of, you know, good outlook and good news here is basically that um, you wrote on page uh, 263, you said, in the post aftershock world, those with money will be able to buy just about anything they want from gorgeous waterfront properties and fast cars to fine art and rare collector's items for pennies on the dollar. The whole country will be like a giant yard sale. Cut your spending and invest well now so you could be in a good position to buy later. And so to me, you know, yes, I think we're in for some economic pain, but if you know what's going on, if you invest properly and you come out the other side, you will be able to uh, live a lifestyle that a lot of people won't be able to live. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, it's, that's funny. Uh, that was well written. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that I, it's exactly, exactly true is, you know, I, I like to indicate that if you have a, a real estate bust, nobody's burning the homes down. Uh, nobody's burning the, the boats. Down. Nobody's burning any of this stuff. It's still there. It, it just the asset values, you know, collapse, um, you know, much more than our economy will. And in the economy, there's a basic level of productivity and so forth that will keep it at a, at a you know very high level. Even if we fell 50 percent, I'm not necessarily predicting that. That still means you've got a 11 trillion dollar economy. You know, it, it's still moving. But asset prices can fall 90% or more, especially on some of the more, uh, you know, um, uh, discretionary goods like, you know, big homes or vacation homes or whatever, or fast cars. I actually wrote that, but true. Um, and fine art. Yeah, it, it is that that's the upside for the individual. Um, it doesn't take away from my fundamental criticism that we never should do this. Okay, this is not good government policy. I mean, the idea that we just borrow ten trillion and don't worry about it, and think we'll never have to pay it back, and we borrow twenty trillion and we don't worry, think we'll never have to pay it back, and we borrow thirty trillion and think we'll never have to pay it. This is not good policy. And you know, same thing that we're going to print. You know, we're going to increase our money supply eight times, and that's what we've done since the financial crisis. Money supply was around a trillion. Before the crisis, we're now, you know, nine trillion. Uh, you know, I mean, come on. You really don't think you're going to get inflation? And and so the governmental policy was terribly wrong, even if I, I'm suggesting a way for people to, you know, see a silver lining to it. Um, and also, you know, honestly, people who have money have a very important role in the future, not just in buying fast cars or whatever, but a very important role in having the capital. Somebody's going to have to have the capital or risk capital to, you know, get a lot of stuff started again, so to speak. And, you know, there's not going to be a lot of money to be made just by, you know, buying something and watching it bid up in value, you know, a stock. But there's still a lot of money to be made in making a profit. And we're going to need to have people who've got risk capital that put it behind good management and, and start to rebuild all the industries and services we need. So, Absolutely critical, you know, out there for you guys, for some people to make sure they don't, you know, lose it all here. They keep it um, and, and, and invest it when the time is right. 
you know, in, into building all this stuff back. And, and sure, you can buy a few fast bars on the side, but you know, from a, I, I guess a, a, a general country standpoint, we need we need people out there who still have some money and some cash to uh, invest, and and the returns will be quite good, and it will be real money, not fake money that you get in, in return. It'll be real profits, and it's real money. And and you know, it's it's interesting what you said about you know the government thought that they could just print endless amounts of money and there would be no inflation. Um, I, I'm not sure if it was you or somewhere I read. Basically, they compared inflation to uh, to turning on a hot shower, right? So you 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 go in the shower and, and it's you turn on the water and it's cold, and then you turn the faucet all the way to as hot as you can, and you turn you know you feel the water and it's still cold, mm-hmm, right? You feel the you feel the water and it's still cold, and then finally it gets hot, and then all of a sudden it's like scalding hot, and by then it's too late, and you have to switch it back, and and you know it's still hot. Yeah. So that I've heard that analogy used to describe inflation that kind of was a slow build and now it, that it's taken off, um, it's taken off in a, in a, in a significant way. Right. It, the water won't just get hot. It'll get scalding. It's, it's going to burn you and, and, you know, permanent scar. Um, and I, you know, again, I, I, the one thing I was surprised is how long inflation stayed low. It didn't follow any of the normal rules, except there are rules on inflation that, you know, takes 18 months before uh, an increase in the money supply creates inflation, stuff like that going way beyond that. But all that said, you know, we kind of knew what we were doing was, was wrong. And I'll, I'll give you a great example. Um, you know, in COVID, everybody was very nervous that a lot of people are unfairly being hurt by a, a big pandemic. And, you know, they needed some money to help, uh, you know, unemployment, all this. And, you know, and it helps the economy. And I understand and that that does make sense in, in a way that, you know, we, we need to spend a lot of money to help people and, and get the economy moving and so forth. All sounds good. But you know, only in a bubble mentality, because in World War Two, I mean, didn't we have a lot of people coming home uh, like my father, you know, from from war, <laughs> a long war? And my father actually stayed in for another year after it was over. He was asked to and he was a volunteer in the beginning. Um, but didn't they do a lot, too? And, you know, hey, the war is over. You know, it's not their fault. And in a sense, that's a plus. Right. I mean, the war's over and they won and great. And what we did is we didn't sit out there and say, oh, here's a great unemployment package for you. And here's this. Uh, we might have given them some money for investment education, but we didn't say, hey, you know, here's money to help get you through when you come home. No, we fired them all. Fired my dad, fired everybody. Um, what about all the people who worked so hard to build, you know, the, the trucks, the arms, the, the guns that everybody needed, you know, and they really worked, you know, overtime and double time and did the best they could. Well, we fired all those guys, too. Um why do we do it? Not because we weren't appreciative. We were. We, we recognized that these people were in trouble, that when they'd come home, you know, economically, it's going to be a little tricky to find a job. We recognized that all the companies we put out of business or, you know, took all their orders from, some are going to go out of business. It's not going to necessarily be easy to switch from making a, a gun to a washing machine or whatever. And there may not be demand for a while, but we said that's that's too bad. You know, we just don't have the money. And from running massive deficit in 1945 and even into 46 by 48, we had a balanced budget. We fired everybody and it wasn't nice. It wasn't friendly. It wasn't really a good way of saying thank you. Um, But we really kind of knew we didn't have the money. And that's what sort of amazed me now is that we've sort of forgotten any sense of reality on on spending uh, government and, and otherwise, but certainly in the government that you know, that some way, well, we just borrow the money and we'll never have to pay it back. So why not use it for this reason or that reason? And, you know, I mean, World War II, massive deficits, you know, all that. And 
yet balanced budget by 48, you know, <laughs> it, it tells you we sort of know it's fake money. It's just what we're about to find out is there's a real danger to that. We kind of know, you know, you know, that we're just we're just printing money and, and giving away, borrowing it and really have no concept that this is, is a negative anyway. Whereas we, we certainly did 1948 knew that we couldn't keep spending money in any way like we were during World War II to help all the veterans as much as they deserved it and help all the companies that did the work as much as they deserved it. We just didn't have the money. And we didn't pre you know, pretend to think that uh, we could just borrow it and never pay it back or print it and it would never cause inflation. You know? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's really crazy to see $30 trillion in, in, in debt um, for the U.S. government. It's it's crazy, but but here's the problem. And that you know, Paul Tudor Jones came on CNBC and yesterday, and he said he can't think of a worse environment for bonds and stocks. And the problem is, you know, inflation's at around eight percent according to the government CPI. So you can't own bonds, you can't own stocks, and cash is uh, is eroding at a rate of eight percent. So you know, we don't give investment advice on this show, but where do you see? any kind of uh, returns or at least preservation of capital um, going forward from here? Sure. Well, I think it's, it's a, it's a fairly simple, you know, um, you know, broad trade or broad investment advice. Um, I guess number one is, yeah, buy, buy bonds, stay away from bonds. I, I agree that, you know, there might be opportunities there, but the upside just ain't worth it because there's clearly some downside risk. Um, but I think the fed can, pull those interest rates down, start printing a lot of money, and it will kick off the stock market. So I think stocks will return, and I think they're going to be a, a, a fairly decent run. Um, and I, I, don't think the, I, I don't think the Fed's going to return to this heavy-handed raising interest rate policies ever again. They're going to be burned by it. So I think they'll, they'll you know, keep, keep the money flowing to some degree one way or another. And I think you're going to have a decent rise in stocks. Um, and you can ask a stock picker to pick, you know, what stocks they think are best. But overall, I found that stock pickers generally don't do a very good job. And I think you're better off with indexes. If you're going to be in the stock market, be in a, a solid index and let it go at that. I mean, for the last 10 years, stock pickers like Warren Buffett haven't beat the S&P. And I would just say, you know, broadly speaking, you know, look at the facts. The indexes tend to do pretty well. Run with the stocks as long as the Fed can control interest rates. You know, if it wants to keep them down, it can print money and keep them down. But there will come a point where, you know, that's not going to work. And before that point, you're going to see people sort of spot that. In other words, they're sort of beginning to think that the Fed can't control inflation. This is a long-term problem. And maybe I should be in some gold, uh, you know, kind of a classic, uh, you know, anti-inflation, you know, worried about the monetary system investment. And I think, you know, a simple trade is to move as you see that starting to happen, to move towards gold when it's outperforming the S&P. You, know, you don't have to, you know, time the S&P perfectly or anything like that or, you know, wait till it, you know, the, the, the bell rings that it's the top of the market. No, I mean, you know, the S&P might still be doing fine. Maybe it's up, you know, 6% or 8% or even 10 but gold's consistently starting to do more like 15 you know, um, and, and it can. I, I mean, even to this day, uh, gold has outperformed stocks and that stocks reinvested with dividends, with dividend reinvestment, as Warren Buffett would say, you have to use this comparison. Since 2000, I mean, gold's done better. So, you know, it, it has a real opportunity, again, to do better than the S&P 500. Move over. And, um, you know, if stocks fall off a cliff, probably gold will keep going up. 
Um, if it turns out you're, quote, wrong, well, you know, then if gold eventually doesn't do as well as the S&P, you can get back in. Um, but it doesn't make a nice, easy trade. You don't have to decide to sort of go to cash or, or you know, go to bonds or lose money. You just move to whatever's, whatever's working. And again, at some point, I think gold will be working better than the S&P. Um, if I'm totally wrong on the whole, you know, concept, well, you know, not to worry. You know, all you did is you outperformed the S&P and you have to get back in the S&P. But my guess is that as, and again, it could be a slow movement as you're moving over to gold. My guess is that, you know, probably that's what's going to do well. Uh, and it certainly is what will do well if, and I don't think it's an if, obviously, I think it, we're guaranteed to fail on this policy if the market uh, goes down. So you just basically getting out of interest rate sensitive stuff, bond stocks, uh, real estate, and you're moving more into non-interest rate sensitive stuff uh, like gold, precious metals, maybe some gold mining stocks, things like that. doesn't have to be just gold, um, but non-interest rate sensitive. I mean, it makes tons of sense and it's not that hard of a trade to do. You just have to kind of keep an eye on when gold is, you know, um, starting to outperform. And, and so, you know, it's, it's impossible to, to time these things like you said they could take longer or shorter than you think mm -hmm. yeah. but you know we're about 15 percent down on the s p um and you said powell's pain threshold is probably about 30 percent um you know, i don't know for sure but 20 to 30 is a good 20. guess mm -hmm. so you think if we go down another five to ten percent from here powell is going to start talking a little more dovish than he's been yep yep okay. well i'm not just talking i mean again at some point you know, the talk, you got to walk the walk. In other words, just talking doesn't do it. You got to get back out there and, and become a big buyer of bonds. You know, I, I, we, we didn't have any kind of tapering on, you know, that we had what was, I don't remember what we called the taper tantrum back when Ben Bernanke said, we're, we're going to slowly stop printing money. We didn't do that. We, we basically went from printing $100 billion a month in, in February to, to printing zero between March 15th and April 15th. Um, and now we're talking about in June actually selling essentially 45 billion a month. So, no, he's got to change that. Um, I mean, th this is not just psychology; it's policy, and uh, uh, this policy has to change. Uh, otherwise, you know, I mean, just talking it, you know, talking more dovish, you know, no. I, I gotta every week I watch how much money they print, and they got to start printing. They got to move back into being a buyer bonds, and and that that's when it will change. Um, yeah, no, no easy out, pal. You can't just say, well, well we're thinking about, uh, you know, uh, not raising rates so fast. Eh, that won't do it. You need to go back in that market and, and buy. Um, and that's kind of what I think people are saying today. By the way, we're down five and a half percent on NASDAQ. We're, we're way beyond the, uh, the jump we had yesterday. I mean, we're way below it. Oh yeah. Wow. I just looked at the, the chart here. Yeah. I mean, it <laughs> exactly. looks like we're stuck selling off into the end of the day i mean I, my personal view is i'm i'm bearish for the short term on stocks i think there's going to be like you said a little more pain um mm -hmm. but you know time in the market for for most investors is is you know kind of a fool's errand but uh, i like to challenge yeah. myself and do that but let's let's talk about your new book so your new book's called fake money real danger and what i wanted to ask you is you know i've, I've looked at your old book your aftershock investor in the new book um, it seems in your new book, you're a little bit more bullish on equities for now. Um, what are some other differences you see uh, between your Aftershock Investor, which came out, I believe the second edition was 2014, and then the book that you just recently released, uh, Fake Money, Real Danger? 
Yeah. So I would think that 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 exactly that's a well, you, you hit the biggest difference. We are a little more bullish on stocks because the other change is inflation just took longer to, to get going. And that that is also what we talk about in the book is we have a whole chapter on kind of a new way of looking at inflation instead of just looking at the typical stuff economists look at, you know, uh, monetary velocity or excess reserves um, lag times, all this, you know, we realize that there's a psychological component. And, and here's an easy way to figure it out. Um, what if the government, uh, let's say, tripled the money supply in the next few months, but companies didn't raise prices? Do you get inflation? No, you don't. Right. And, you know, it's something I nobody's had to deal with because it normally doesn't happen. But, you know, all of a sudden you've got a new element to to put in the equation for inflation and and i think that's a uh that's something we realized is that uh it isn't you know i used to agree with milton friedman the um you know the monetarist uh uh economist who won the nobel prize for his work in monetary theory that you know, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon you know you print money you're gonna get inflation and now i realize that no there's a psychological element which we all knew in a certain way but man it's important um, you know, again, you know, the Fed, I mean, the, the government can print all the money it wants, but if you don't raise prices, you really aren't going to get inflation. And uh, um, sure, there's all limits to this, but that that can happen for a while. In other words, you know, businesses don't raise and, and that keeps inflation down. So that's part of what we think is is what happened over the last 10 years, why it, inflation didn't go according to the simple equations. And uh you know, no surprise, as we found in economics, is nothing's in the end really just an equation. There's always an element of psychology. And I think in this case, in inflation, we realized it's a much bigger element that anybody, including ourselves, had really recognized. So that's something talked about in the book, well worth looking at. Um, yes, we're, we're, we're more bullish on equities when, when the, you know, when the Fed is is out there pumping up, you know, the, the markets. We Hey Robert, sounds like you cut got cut off. Are you still there? Oh, there you go. You cut off for one second. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So, so it, it, if you heard what I was saying, is that the uh, you know new view of inflation uh, definitely more bullish on stocks as long as they're you know got the Fed there. And then another thing we looked at that was fascinating, just from a, a general investment standpoint, is how poorly the best stock pickers in the business have done in the last 10 years. And I mean, all of the top hedge funds, you know, of like Ray Dalio, right? he runs the biggest hedge fund in the world. He hasn't beat the S&P in the last 10 years. Far from it. Warren Buffett. I mean, this is a guy who definitely beat the S&P 500 before. After the financial crisis, they didn't. And I could just go on and on about all the names you hear, all the billionaire hedge funds who can't do as well as, you know, a Vanguard index fund. Um, which brings up a question why we're paying them so much money, but you know, that's a different issue. For me, what's interesting is just how hard it's never been easy to beat the market. Don't get me wrong, but since the financial crisis, it's been real tough. And I think that's because, you know, again, the government involvement in the market has become so huge that, that you just can't use normal metrics to value and buy or sell stocks. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And, and there's no longer the element of, of good, you know, financial judgment uh, in where these stocks are going to go. I mean, who would have thought if I was to do a speech, uh, an analyst speech three years ago on, on Tesla, I'm sure other analysts come out and give me all these numbers on car sales and profits and this. 
And I would have come out and say, you know, what you need for Tesla and what's going to really make the difference is a worldwide pandemic that will kill about a million Americans. Um, that that's what's going to boost Tesla stock. And it's, it's going to make it soar. Well, I mean, you know, everybody would have laughed at me, but actually that's what happened. And so that's what I mean. It's really hard to do fundamental, uh, you know, analysis on, on companies, even the best guys, whether they be Ray Dalio or, or Warren Buffett or people like that. So we have a chapter on that really well worth reading. Um, yeah, so so those are you know those those are tops and and absolutely does indicate yeah it is hard to time the market timing is part of stock you know picking you know is time when to buy when to sell it's hard to do um, again right now I don't think this one's that hard to see is you know if the Fed's going to keep raising rates the market's going to get hurt I mean until it's, until it changes so yeah on our financial management we're we're one hundred percent out of the market. And uh, normally we like to ride the ups and downs. We're, you know, 100% in the market. We're very bullish, but this ain't, this ain't a, just a simple up and down anymore. Um, you've got a real policy problem. Uh, and, and until that's resolved, you know, we're, we're out. And we'll look at, you know, we'll look at, uh, you know, other stuff to the extent it pops up. Maybe gold will pop up short term. I'm not so sure. Uh, nothing else. I mean, money markets might finally pay a 1% or 1% interest, but there isn't a lot there. There is a time sometimes where, you know, kind of have to sit back and relax and wait for policy to change. Um, and, uh, and then get back in. But, uh, uh, but you're right. Timing markets generally is something that's very hard to do. And, you know, honestly not recommended just like picking stocks is hard to do too. So, uh, but those are the three elements of the book that I think are, are fascinating is, is, you know, the new take on inflation, you know, how people have done since the financial crisis and a government manipulated, um, you know, economy, not just stock market or bond market or housing market, but, but economy, uh, you know, it, it's a fun book. It's also very short. Our, our, uh, our actually a publisher, John Wiley complained about that, but, you know, we didn't want to repeat everything we said in the last, you know, aftershock books. We did four editions of it. So, you know, it got to be a pretty big book. And, uh, you know, we wanted to do something totally different and uh, a lot shorter. And that's what we got with fake money. So it's an easy read. Uh, we put in five or six very interesting appendices to please our publisher to get the book at 200 pages. But, uh, you know, those aren't critical to read. The, the main book is, is a pretty short, quick read. It's well-written. It's got, got more new cartoons, stuff like that. You know? So um, so it's a good book. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- those are the kind of key things I like about it. And, and again, it does lead to our basic investing style, which is, you know, yeah, don't time it. Don't pick it. You know, ride those indexes. Ride the market hard. This is one time maybe ever that I'll say it, it, it's time to get out for a while, you know, and this isn't timing. It's, it's, we're purely just watching policy and, uh, um, you know, it, that'll tell us when to get back in, but this is an unusual time. No question. And, and, uh, Robert, I know you have to, a call that you have to get to, but I just wanted to uh, elaborate on that. So, um, you're saying that you're, you're out of the, the market uh, for now, um, until policy kind of reverses. What are you, looking for when you say policy reverses and if if we get an inflation number that's not as hot or are you looking for the fed to basically uh capitulate by action and say okay we're only going to raise 25 bips uh or we're not going to raise at all or i mean because a lot of i heard on cnbc today a lot of talking heads are basically saying inflation has peaked and as soon as we get validation that inflation has peaked the markets are going to rip because 
the Fed can't raise as much because they have an excuse now not to raise because inflation isn't as hot. What do you think? Well, you know, they're, they're trying to time it a little bit ahead of it and say, you know, that there's guaranteed to be an action that will follow uh, an inflation number. I think that's possible. But, you know, the Fed hasn't said that, um, you know, I, 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 you know, you might you might go back and. You know, but until the Fed actually, you know, says we're not raising rates anymore, not like we're just slowing down, but, you know, maybe you'll get a little bump on that. But really, I, I think, we're in, you know, the Fed's going to need to say we're not raising rates and I'm going to want to see some money printing. Um, yeah. Might I move oh, partly back in the market before then? Yeah, I might. Um, but the real movement, I don't think is going to happen until you actually, you know, hear it from the Fed. Um, that they're, they're, they're not raising rates. Because what can happen is the market can say that and jump up, and then the Fed comes up and says, well, you know, we're still on track to, to, uh, to you know, to keep rates going higher, and, and we haven't increased our money printing, and, and everybody goes, oh, shoot. You know, <laughs> we, you know we hope we were right. Uh, you know, you're taking a little risk there. I, I think we're going to need to listen less to the pundits who, frankly, don't have a great track record, of predicting or picking, you know, timing or picking stocks. I mean, if you got a pundit who puts out there and shows how he's consistently beat the S&P for five years, you know, listen to him. But most of those pundits haven't haven't beat the S&P, you know, and they're trying to give you timing uh, ideas and they're trying to give you um, stock picks, um, which, again, all of which never, you know, for most of them, I mean, I mean, you know, 90 plus percent don't beat the S&P. Uh, I'd be careful. I, I really would try to look for what the Fed says and what it does as being your real keys for getting back in. Yeah. No, so no, I mean, no, getting back in more heavily, you can always going back in 10% or, you know, right. 15, 20, but yeah. Right. I'd no, and I think that's, uh, I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's critical. Um, and, you know, as, as I'm saying this, I'm watching the NASDAQ's down 5.81, the S&P yep. down 4.2. I mean, this is, this is serious. These are serious uh, one-day losses here. Um, yeah, yeah, these are bloody. Uh, you know, <laughs> eventually, there's going to be some margin calls. People, are, I think, you know. Oh, and that's the last mm-hmm. question I was going to ask you. Then, you know, sure. I know I keep saying I'll let you go, but this is, you know, it's exciting to have you on. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What is what is your um, ideas on? So, you know, I know you said you're sitting out of the market. Um, if people are a little more risk uh, tolerant and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they want to step in and do some some uh, investing or trading, what do you think about uh, shorting? Well, you know, I, that, I think that very much depends on, you know, your own personal level of risk and so forth. Uh, generally, the times to short have been very short, uh, too short to make money over the past few years. This is one time that will likely be different. Um, that doesn't mean you should short. Uh, but from a broader standpoint, do I think shorts will make money? In other words, if you shorted yesterday or today, you know, do I think you'll be up in the next three months? Probably so. Um, so, you know, from a, a just an academic standpoint, yeah, I think some shorting on market indexes is very good. You start shorting individual stocks and we're back to stock picking. Um, and the people who I say aren't doing a good job of stock picking are, are more than happy to short as well as go long. And, you know, neither one has worked very well. Uh, so, you know, that's very much up to your risk tolerance. Uh, yeah, for our higher risk investors, yeah, we're, we're, we're putting on, you know, some not shorts, which are a little risky, but inverse ETFs, which also are risky. But uh, uh, we do a little bit of that, but not for, our, you know, not for kind of normal in- investors, just for, you know, high-end accredited types. But, uh, 
uh, yeah, I think it will make money. Um, but that's uh, that, that's a little bit of a different ballgame. <laughs> you know? uh, but this could be one of those rare times where the short period is long enough that you know you you can short and and get out fairly comfortably uh, with a profit. Uh, again, you know that final timing is is tricky. And you know, as you said, maybe the market does start to rise just based on what CNBC or Fox Business or somebody says. But uh, um, you know, uh, you know, always be careful uh, with shorting. And, and inverse ETFs would be a generally better way to short uh, for a more normal investor than than shorting. Um, shorting has some real risk, but yeah, right. And the risk, the risk being that you know your losses are unlimited because unlimited mm-hmm. forever, right? So. So that's that's the the uh, the problem with shorting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But no, yeah. I appreciate I appreciate um, appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your views. This has been this has been awesome. I'm glad you uh, were able to we were able to get this figured out and get you on. Um, how can people uh, reach you if they want to get in contact with you or um, you know I don't know if you want to if you have a Twitter or a Facebook. Um, how, how can we... Oh, we're very, very old fashioned. We have a website. Website, <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, yeah, Aftershock Publishing um, or or Fake Money, Real Danger, all, all goes there. Aftershock Publishing, your old book, uh, fakemoneyrealdanger.com. It'll take you to the same site and that'll take you to uh, information about us. So um, that's probably the best site. I mean, we have a financial management site, uh, but it doesn't have as much interesting stuff so much. And, and you can get to that from our Aftershock Publishing website. So rather than confuse everybody, uh, um, fakemoneyrealdanger.com, uh, aftershockpublishing.com. Uh, best ways to re- get a hold of us and, and follow what we do. We've been remiss in getting as much information out on the website in the last month with all the uh, stuff going on. But uh, next week, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be beefing up the content, so be a nice time to be you know looking at the site for some of our recent thoughts. And given there is a lot going on uh, or going down, uh, down now down over thirteen hundred dollars or thirteen hundred points. So yeah, get I, I take a look at the site. There's going to be some interesting writing on that site. All right, everyone. Um, also, too, because Robert's out of time. Normally, we'll do a question and answer, but what I'll do is. If you go to my Twitter, which is at retirement, right, you can message me some questions you have for Robert. I'll put together some of the, the best ones and send them over to him and I'll publish kind of some of those answers on my Twitter so everyone can see, um, you know, if they have any kind of pressing questions. But definitely check out the book Aftershock Investor. Uh, it's written by Robert Wertemeyer. It's on his website, um, aftershockpublishing.com. And then check out his newest book, Fake Money, Real Danger, where he um, add some additional things to the Aftershock Investor book. But like I said, this book, um, I read it when it first came out. The ideas uh, intrigued me. And it's uh, it's like watching a playbook of the future of everything that's going on right now. So it's uh, it's an awesome read. If you, haven't, if you haven't had a chance to read this book, I highly suggest it. And again, Robert, thank you so much uh, for coming on. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Russell. Take care. All right. Bye, everyone.